Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. What do you think about Noster? Wow. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, a lot is of Is it really strange? Guys, huh? Is it really strange? You can be honest. How strange is it? Honestly, I have a really great team around me and they handle a lot of the Noster RSS stuff. I like, I know the basics of everything and I'm just, I'm grateful for everyone because both, like RSS and Nostra, they both allowed us to have these two really cool, great shows that we had in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll dive into that. Okay. Let's keep going down the Nostra okay. rabbit hole. Um, when you first saw Zaps and people were saying Zaps, Zaps, and Zaps, 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 what did you think? Did you think it was like, did you know it was Bitcoin? Did you know it was Lightning? Like, what was your first impression? Yeah. I knew it was, I knew it was Bitcoin and, and, Bitcoin enabled. Um, I thought it was really cool because I think it's a new, one of the things that I've been saying on my, um, on a lot of my social media platforms as I've kind of gotten into this new world is that like likes and hearts are, are dead, you know, like Instagram and Facebook and, and TikTok and whatever, all the big social media platforms right now, they all run off of likes and hearts and whatever. And with zaps and lightning, like that's just, it's a new ecosystem. It's a new economy of value for value and showing people like, oh no, I actually really value your work. I'm going to pay you a tiny little amount of whatever, I'm, but at the end of the day, I'm paying you um, for something that I see value that you're giving me. And with traditional social media platforms, it's just like, oh, okay, I'm going to like this or heart this when like, what what even is a like or a heart? It, it's not anything. It's little numbers being translated on some computer in Silicon Valley where this is actually like a transfer of value, you know? Oh my God. We should just end the show right there. You're, you're <laughs> no, seriously, you're exactly right. Yeah. It's because like, is, do you think it's clout that like, do you think that's what this, that with the likes and the retweets and all those type of things, like do you, in the hearts and do you think that's just clout? People are just clout chasing. Do you think that's what, and, and people maybe aren't ready for that yet? Like, I think that's a part of it. And I think that's that the whole um, clout chasing economy that is traditional social media is part of the reason that's made social media so toxic and so kind of unbearable in the last couple of years, especially for not just, I mean, I know that my, I'm part of Gen Z. Gen Z really struggles like with social media because of like the whole, 
self-esteem thing that comes with it and comparison and all of that. But then like you log on and you might be having a terrible day and then you see this person who you might know in real life who has a really bad attitude, but like they've gone viral on TikTok and they have a million likes or they have a million people listening to this song or whatever. And it's just, it, it feels, I always say that when I log on to the traditional streaming platforms or not streaming platforms, that's a whole other thing, but, um, on Instagram, TikTok, whatever, I have this like perpetual yuckiness that I feel as soon as I open it. And I'm like, I don't like this, this, I don't think that this is how social media is supposed to work. Social media should be another value for value thing. I'm showing you a bit of my life. And if you like that, cool, you can send me a zap or a lightning or whatever. And if you don't, you're not entitled to have to do that. But yeah, I just, I think it's cool that there's a new economy that's starting to grow, not just in music, but in the way that social media works and how we communicate with each other. Yeah, that's fascinating that you say that, that that, uh, Gen Z struggles with that. I I would like to go down this rabbit hole a little bit further. And can you speak more to like how, I guess, your generation and, and how your friends and, and, and other people in your life, how they look at it. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of my different friends over the years where, you know, we all feel the same thing when it comes to social media. Like it sucks. <laughs> Bottom line is it sucks. And it used to be fun, you know, before the algorithm made it this clout chasing, um, let's just show everyone the best parts of our lives all the time. When, you used to see your, I remember when I was in middle school and being on Instagram and just having fun with it. I would, I remember seeing my friend's posts in chronological order and being like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. She's doing this. She told me about this at lunch today. I love that I get to see this. Um, and then as you know, the algorithm progressed over the years and it got more toxic and it became this really kind of like uninhabitable mental ecosystem. Um, I, I've just had a lot of conversations with my friends about how we all feel that like it's it's not about living your authentic life anymore and showing that it's about putting your best foot forward at all times but that is not what life is and so the fact that we only see everybody's highlight reel the fact that we only see everybody's oh i just won this award oh i'm going on this tour oh i'm getting engaged or i'm having a baby like you only see the good parts and that's not how life works and so when that's all you see it really can mess with your sense of happiness, your sense of like self and identity. It can, I know one thing that I've kind of struggled with is when I only see the good parts of everyone's lives, I'm like, well, it almost like magnifies the bad parts of my life and bad is relative, but you know what I mean? Like the tough parts, it's like, oh, everybody seems to be having a great time, but I'm really not. So like I, now I feel worse that I'm having a not great time because it seems like everybody else is having a great time when in reality, they're probably not having a great time either. But, and that was a lot, but social media is a very meta thing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's, it's fascinating to hear you say all these things because, you know, somebody like me, I, I, I I try to stay away from the limelight. I've always been more of a behind the scenes kind of guy, but lately I've had to like step into this role a little bit more and just have to be out there more forwardly. And and even for me, it's still uncomfortable in a lot of ways, not because I'm shy or anything. It's just that this is not, not, I like in-person stuff. Like I like yeah, meeting people, way. shaking their hand and getting to know them on a personal level versus yeah. like on this like internet thing. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's change gears here. I want to talk about just your, 
like your rise. I don't know if that's the right word. Your rise to this kind of level of, of your plane. Right. Um, you have a, I think you have a pretty good following in every platform from what I can tell. And it looks like you've been writing a lot of really good music. Uh, I saw a cover that you wrote with like the Johnny Cash Ring of Fire cover. Oh my gosh, that was so long ago. That is so crazy you brought that up. Well, it, like for me, like, you know, I was just like, wow, that's a cool cover. Like it's just it's a, it's such a different way of doing that song. Um, so yeah, just talk about your your background and how you started playing and, and like, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been in music for, I mean, I've only been in this Bitcoin space for about five, six months, um, but I've been in music and actively pursuing music for half of my life. I'm 19 right now. I'll be 20 this year. And that's a whole existential crisis that I'm having, but whatever. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been doing music pretty much for half my life. My dad, he's a lifelong musician. He went to LA in the nineties to do the same thing that I'm doing here. Um, and so then, you know, like my parents settled down, my dad gets a day job, but he never stops playing music. Um, and so I, I grew up going and seeing my dad in cover bands and hearing him play piano around the house when I'm really young. And those are just really integral pieces of who I am as a person, not just as an artist. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to do, um, music from a very young age. I was like four or five when I was like, yeah, I, I want to be a singer. And everyone in my family was like, okay, sweetie, just, well, we'll wait till you're like 15, 16, then we'll ask you again. But when I was 15, 16, my answer was still the same thing. And by that point I was, I had already put a lot of music out on Spotify. I had an album out. Um, I had already done like a hundred or so wow. shows. Um, so yeah. And I mean, music really started for me. Um, I live in Nashville right now, but I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. And that's really where music started for me. That's where, you know, I, I kind of woke up as a person and I started writing songs about my feelings and I started gigging around like in coffee shops or like doing fundraisers with my dad and then our family friend who was a musician too, where it was just me singing and then both these guys playing guitar on either side of me. That's and then, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very fond of that, um, of that time in my life and how that has really informed me as a person and a musician. Yeah, that's amazing. I, there was a... I was on Twitter the other day and there was like somebody, uh, they were talking about Taylor Swift or something. And they were, sh they, they like took a screenshot of like her first appearance at a mall when she was like a kid. It was, yeah. and then to where she is now, it was just like, wow. Yeah. The amount of like uh, tenacity and just like spirit, the, the musical spirit that lives within every, every one of us, I think. But can you talk a little bit about that? And like, what, what inspires you to keep pushing forward and doing these things? Yeah. I mean, I am really inspired by, you know, there can be, there can be days where it feels like, let me backtrack a little bit. So I'm very um, driven by knowing the kinds of messages that I want to write. Um, and I'm really driven by wanting to write songs for the next generation of young girls that I didn't grow up hearing. Um, so songs like, you know, a lot of the songs on traditional radio that I grew up hearing in like the early 2010s. And even now a lot of the big songs tend to revolve around love and heartbreak. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I love love and heartbreak songs. Love and heartbreak songs are the songs that I think get all of us into music. And like there are first music loves, but I started really kind of digging deep into figuring out the messages that I wanted to write. And I started figuring out like, I, Maybe it's just because I'm simply not in the love and heartbreak phase of my life yet. Um, but I started writing a lot of songs about how 
look, girls, like you don't need to be in a relationship to be a whole and happy and fulfilled human being. And you can say no to a guy if he starts freaking you out at a party or at a club or whatever. So I started writing a lot of music about that. And that's not to say that I don't write love and heartbreak songs because I absolutely do. If I have a good idea for a love and heartbreak song, I'm going to write a love and heartbreak song. Um, But so that really fuels me when I feel discouraged or whatever. I think back to wanting to be um, a role model for young girls who may or may not be looking up to me and not even just young girls, um, just young people everywhere. I think that um, the love and heartbreak thing can transfer to young boys too. They can uh, just young people everywhere. I think this is another thing that I've kind of noticed about my generation and a little bit younger. Like I remember being in middle school, like 12, 13 years old, being like in class. And there's this girl next to me crying about like, he didn't text me back at this boyfriend. And I'm like, you are 13. You basically came out of the womb yesterday. Like there is a lot of, there's, there's time for this. Can we just like focus on our social studies and then like let the boys and the girls and the heartbreak, whatever come later. Um, so that really informed a lot of my songwriting too. Um, so then when I get discouraged, I really think about how I think that could be a really good message. And that's the main message that I want to portray if I ever am lucky enough to have an audience of young girls looking up to me. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Talk about, talk about the people that listen to your music and your fans and um, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what do you, what do you hear from them? What do you, like what, 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 what sorts of things do they find interesting about the music that you're creating? Yeah. I mean, I think when I started out and I think this is a lot of singer songwriters and musicians have a similar experience when you start out, especially when you start out as young as I did, a lot of your first fans are like friends of your parents <laughs> or like they're your extended family. They're like, Oh, you're doing great, sweetie. Good job. Um, you know, but then you, you get more into it. You start touring, you start finding people who like your music in all different parts of the country and the world. Then you get on TikTok, you get on Instagram, and then you find people that way. Um, and I've been lucky enough to have a few moments on, um, I don't, I, I never liked saying that they went viral because in my mind they went mini viral, but I had a, a couple of videos on TikTok that went mini viral. Um, nothing like millions of views, cup, like couple that are like 200,000 plus, which That's I a consider lot. a win. That's a win. Um, Total win. Thank you. And so I've, I've had a, a couple of really lucky moments like that where I've, you know, it's just been right place, right time where I've had the right song and then the right people found it. Um, I have a song called Little Sister, um, which is funny because I'm actually an only child. and Everybody's like, why did you write a song called Little Sister if you're an only child? But it's a whole thing. Um, but I had a lot of um, not even just girls my age and younger. I had people in their 40s and 50s saying, this is my life story. Thank you for writing this. And that was a really surreal moment as a 16-year-old who wrote a song. That song I wrote about being compared to one of my idols a lot. And Mm. so that was the metaphor that just came the easiest to me. And so I wrote it like that. And so then people from all sides of the spectrum started coming out of the woodwork and saying, this is how I feel with my inspirations and my idols. And then you have people who actually have this kind of relationship with their siblings saying, this is my life story. Thank you for writing this. Um, and so with that song, I think I was really able to find um, a couple of people who are really kind of my target audience and my target demographic and who've been following me ever since. And, um, and you know, I wrote, I wrote another song called Daydreamer, which I think some people in this new space have heard this song. Not all of my music that I've released over the four or five years I've been releasing music is on 
this um, this new plane. But um, Daydreamer, which is one of those songs that's on both, is a song that I wrote um, kind of in the throes of quarantine, like really in the thick of it. I was like desperate for new inspiration. And it was that phase where we were like, oh my God, like I've watched Tiger King. I've watched this. I've watched that. Um, then you're just like scanning the depths of Netflix, seeing what you can find. And I wrote this song, um, based off of a TV show called Anne with an E, which is a, um, like a modern retelling of Anne of Green Gables, which is that old classic novel. And I just, I remember resonating so much with that main character and feeling like I, I don't think I've ever seen a character who I've related to this hard. And so I wrote a song like half for her, but half for me, it was kind of both of our songs. And then. I, I put that song up and that um, found a lot of fans of that show. And then again, kind of the same thing that happened with Little Sister. They kind of stuck with me and have been with me ever since. And those are two songs that were very introspective and were more kind of thoughtful and not love and heartbreak songs. So Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome to hear. It sounds like you're 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 grabbing all sorts of ideas and inspirations from a lot of different places. And then you're you're really finding your your little community of of you know of, I don't know what you call them, listeners. And they're, and you're trying to, yeah, shepherd it in a way to where it's uh, it's a very uh, inviting, because I, I imagine they're probably musicians too, right? Like maybe they're, maybe they're looking up to you and they're wanting to make their own music or something like that, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. It's funny with, um, with, I think it was Daydreamer. That was the song. Um, there was a, a young lady who started following me who's around my age. And she, like a week or so after, like my Daydreamer video kind of went viral, um, she posted a cover of her singing Daydreamer. Oh, wow. And that was the first time I'd ever seen somebody cover my song. And so I was like, <laughs> just like a puddle of tears, puddle of confetti, puddle of just like absolute happiness. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just really lucky that, you know, the people who I found thus far, I think some of them are young, aspiring singers and songwriters. And if I'm being honest, so am I, I am still a young, aspiring singer songwriter. Um, but then there are also just people who are just live in life and who seem to like my music and want to have my music kind of as a companion, which I am not mad at either of those things. Yeah, totally. I, I used to play music in my early twenties. Um, I'm a lot older now, but uh, one of the things I always loved about musicians and artists was just the, like the lifting up, you know, and getting them to where they needed to be. Like, I always thought that was really cool. And I remember when I came into the Austin scene in like the late two thousands, it was something where like, I always tell the story all the time, but this guy who really had no reason to help me do anything, but just mm -hmm. like saw it upon himself to like, Hey, I'll help you. You know, if you want to do a live show, we can, you can use some of my equipment or you can do some of this. Can you speak to that? Can you tell me why, why are musicians and artists creatives like this? Like why? That's a really good question. Um, I think there's a common thread that ties musicians and just creatives in general together. Um, and that's the fact that, I mean, I love what you said, like this guy who had absolutely no reason to help you just did. I've had so many people like that in my life. It's funny. I was actually just talking to my, one of my friends, um, about this last night, we were talking about one of, um, one of our family friends who is a musician. He still lives in Seattle. Um, he was one of my first music teachers kind of just like all around, like he gave me singing lessons. He gave me guitar lessons. Um, and then he like played with me on stage. He played with me at, at some of my shows. And so, and again, like he didn't have any reason to have to do this, but I think that common thread between creatives is that 
we understand each other in a way that people who aren't as artistically inclined do. And I, and we, it's just that I think underlying vulnerability that all creatives know is there. And we kind of just let it sit at the surface and we wear it on our sleeve. And so when you find another creative like that, it's like you, I, I see you and I get you and I want to know you. You know, it's kind of that thing, if that makes sense. Totally. That's a, that's a great way to put it. It's just, it's a, it's, it's just, you just know what they're yeah. going through without, I even have to say anything. And then, yeah, that's, that's totally what it is. It's totally that. And e- even for me too, I, I, I look at it just like paying it back. Right. Like mm-hmm. the, pay from, forward. yeah, just pay it forward. Right. The, yeah. And so that's something that I've tried to keep in mind over the years where when I was starting out 11, 12, 13, starting to write my first songs um, and showing them to music educators or people that just believed in me. Um, I try to remember how that feeling made me feel. And then if there are 11, 12, 13 year olds who come to me and they have, they say, Hey, can you look at the song I wrote? I'm like, absolutely. Like, I just, I just want to be that person. And I, one of my, um, core pillars just as a human is be kind and gracious, kind and grateful, and just pay it forward. If you got something that lovely in your past, like, why not? Why wouldn't you give that feeling back? You know, it costs nothing to be a, a good, decent human. <laughs> yeah, totally. I totally agree. hundred percent. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the live stuff. So how, how like, how, like, I guess at what age did you start performing live? And then on top of that, like we can get into the fountain stuff and how all that transpired, but like, yeah, tell me about your, 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 um, regiment when it comes to that. Cause it seems like you're already seasoned as far as I <laughs> could tell. Uh, it, seriously, like it, t- like we, I was stuck in a garage for like two years cause we were so terrible. We get the cops called on us. Seriously. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. <laughs> but like, and then after a while, people would just start showing up at the garage, just like random people would just walk by. And then before you know, you have people sitting out there listening to you practice and, it's, yeah. it's the truth. Um, so yeah, tell me about, yeah. How, how did you get so good so fast? Like doing so Well, play? thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I appreciate that. Um, well, it helps that I grew up with a musician father. Um, I was always singing around the house and knew again that I wanted to do music in whatever capacity that looked like. Um, but I was always performing in talent shows and the school musicals. And, you know, I think that's kind of the gateway drug for a lot of, um, coming like coming up singer songwriters and artists and even people in the theater world um like you get that little taste of it in school performances or in Mm. choir performances and you're like I like this I want to do more of this um so yeah I mean I was in all the talent shows that you could think of I was in the musicals and then when I was I think I was 12 or 13 when I had my first like Ainsley Costello live experience gig um and then once I started doing that. And at the beginning, like everyone, like you're just playing covers. You don't really have a ton of originals to your name. My, my first gig, like I, I played this like little song that I wrote on my ukulele that was burned and will never see the light of day ever again. Um, but you know, you start out like that and then you just, you do it enough times that it becomes second nature. And you're like, this is my second home. I am just as comfortable on this stage as I am talking to my parents in the kitchen, that kind of thing. Um, So then, yeah, I think my first gig happened when I was 12 or 13. And then not long after that, I found a band. And then I started doing a lot of shows, not just in Seattle. Um, I've been really lucky over the past however many years I've been doing this. I think I've done 
150-ish shows Whoa. in like 20-ish states, something like that. So in how many years? How many years? How old am I now? I'm 19. I started performing when I was 12 or 13. So give or take five or six years. Wow. That's a lot of shows. Thank you. I mean, it's my, it's my favorite thing to do. And so, and I just knew that it was my favorite thing to do earlier in life. Kind of, I, some people know what they want to do earlier in life. And that was just what I was. And it's totally cool if, you know, you go through college and you don't know what you want to do. And you're like, oh, now I know what I want to do. But I was always of the mindset of, I know what I want to do. And I know that this isn't going to change. So why not just hit the ground running. And I mean, there were a lot of people who pushed back on that, who were like, you're 12, just do 12 year old things. And I was like, no, I'm good. And I had really supportive parents who saw something in me and believed in me, who freaking moved me to Nashville. Um, And so, yeah, they were the ones who helped me get going and got me my shows in LA and New York and North Carolina and Nashville and whatever. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's, what's so, yeah, let's talk about Nashville real quick. Cause I, I definitely want to know that I've been there. I love Nashville. Nashville's an amazing place. Um, tell me, tell me about Nashville. Tell me about what the scene's like there and like, and, and why it was important for you to move there to, yeah, to do music. For sure. Um, <clears throat> sorry. When I was 15, we moved to Nashville when I was 15. And I will also note, we moved here in March of 2020. So about 20 minutes before the world exploded into a dumpster fire. Um, I had a very idealistic view when I was like 13, 14, really starting to set my sights on Nashville. Um, I had a really idealistic view of Taylor Swift moved to Nashville. Shania Twain moved to Nashville. Everybody moved to Nashville. And this seems like the place you have to go to be a music person. And so once I had finally convinced my parents, my parents were down to do it. We get here. Um, and my experience with Nashville, um, I, I always like to preface this, um, like my Nashville experience by saying my Nashville experience was very skewed. I didn't move here in a time where Nashville was really Nashville. I moved, I feel like the punchline is I moved here from Music City and I just got city because I moved here two weeks oh, before the pandemic started. Gosh, yeah. um, and so because of that, it took a little bit longer for me to really find my people and to find my crew. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. The first year I was here, even though everything was virtual, I really got um, hooked up to a lot of great um, songwriters who helped me hone the craft, helped me learn how to write the Nashville way. Um, and so, you know, once I kind of, you know, you, you move to a new city and it's kind of like you're at the bottom of the food chain, you say yes to everything. Because you're like, I just, I might write with this person and it might not be good, but it might lead to something else. Or we might write this song. I might not love this person as a writer, but we might have just gotten a song that I like, that kind of thing. And so, you know, you do that enough times and then you start finding the people who you do really love writing with and who do really understand you as a person and a writer and an artist and who understand what you want to say. And so I'll also note that when I I moved here, I was very... um, I was still very much in the pop country world. My first album that I put out when I was 15, that also came out a week before the pandemic hit, um, was very pop country because I wrote that album in my bedroom in Seattle. And country was more of a novelty in Seattle. And me, I always want to be a contrarian. I always want to be different. <laughs> and so, you know, country's not really a, a huge thing in Seattle. So I was like, cool, this makes me different. And then I get to Nashville and I'm doing pop country and I'm like, this did not make me different. So <laughs> then I, I take a full 180. 
I have my pandemic existential crisis. I find out that Paramore's from Nashville and Kings of Leon is from Nashville. And I'm like, whoo, you can do, you can come from Nashville and not be a country music artist. And so then I, I started reevaluating, started reevaluating, reevaluating the messages I was writing sonically, how I sounded vocally, how I was performing. I did like lots of self-reflection and, um, Hello? No. Um, sorry. No, you're <laughs> I have fine. two doors. I, I'm in my bedroom right now. Uh-huh. And my bedroom is technically the bonus room of the house. And so I don't have like one bedroom or one door to my bedroom. I have two. So like when someone's coming up, we have a, a home studio downstairs. So when someone's coming up, there's a door and then there's a door into the kitchen. So every there's always a lot going on. In no, you're house. fine. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm at Club so, Lab right now. I don't know if you can hear the dogs, but we have we have the same thing. It's just like somebody comes in, dogs start going off. So it's it's the same thing. I love it. <laughs> I'm living vicariously through you because we don't have dogs. I am unfortunately allergic to like every animal on the planet. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So then I was I firmly decided I wanted to be pop rock. Um, and you know because country is kind of the main thing in Nashville. Um, it took longer to find the people who I was like oh, this is a really good fit. Um, or, oh, you're a pop rock writer. Let's write pop, pop rock songs together. Or you're a producer and you, we could have the Taylor Swift, Jack Antonoff thing going on where it's that kind of relationship back and forth. So um, I've been here for almost four years now, which is crazy. But I think it's really been in this last year that I've really started to find the people who get me in this pop rock space. Um, and I'm very grateful for those first three years of, um, kind of writing everything, writing country, writing, um, writing just pop songs, writing, just writing whatever. And so, uh, because it really informed still how I write and how I create today. Um, but yeah, now I've, I've think I've finally started to find my people, which makes me really happy. That's, that's really cool to hear. I, I, I love stories like that. Cause right. Cause you're new. The first thing you want to do is just like say yes to everything. And yeah. then, you know, some people will take advantage of that right? Just naturally. And then, but you, you'll learn through that, right? And then you find these amazing people and then you can really start like crafting something, really something that really near and dear to your heart, right? Something that you're really yeah. proud of. And that's, it's, it's, so then it becomes worth it kind of in a lot, in a lot of ways, I think. Um, so yeah, it's great to hear that you found that, that group now. Uh, talk a little bit about your creative process. Cause I find this fascinating just from, you know, I'm a creative person myself. So tell me like, like, where do these ideas come from? I know you've talked about your, your, your community of listeners and stuff like that, but like, tell me like your creative process. Do you just have an idea? You write stuff down on your phone or like, are you one of those people that just like, you need to go out and walk in the park and like to get an idea? Like, tell me where this kind of like antenna, like yeah, absolutely. your creativeness comes think, from. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit of both of what you just said. Um, so I'm, if we want to get like really deep into the creative process, I'm a very hook oriented writer. Um, so, um, I have a song called cherry on top and that's the song that kind of blew up in this value for value space. That's the first song I put on wave Lake that hit a million sats, did all the things. Um, cherry on top was a song that I wrote by myself. Um, and just for example, and it's very similar to how I write a lot of my songs. The first thing that I had for that song was you put the cherry on top of the mess you made because I love the hook of that. Um, I'm always looking for like a really good metaphor that can just apply to whatever situation, whatever scenario. Um, but yeah, I'm a very hook oriented writer. And so I find it hard to just like sit down at line one of a song and just start writing. I feel like I always 
write the best songs when I have a chorus first where I have my central message where it's kind of like due north, right? Where I know what what I'm supposed to be writing towards and I'm looking for. So once I have that, then I feel like everything else just falls into place. Um, But that's not to say that, you know, I don't write line one down occasionally. I will do that. I've had a couple of songs that I put out where it's happened like that. Um, But yeah, I'm very inspired by the books and the TV shows and the movies that I watch. Um, And also, yeah, I mean, I think to be a creative person, you have to allow yourself to go out and live your life, which I'm very much not great at. I'm a workaholic. I do everything that I do is for my career. My therapist would tell you that I don't have a great work-life balance. Um, but yeah, I am just, I'm really inspired by um, books and movies and TV shows. And I think I kind of try to make up for, you know, like my lack of like going out and doing things <laughs> in drawing inspiration from different m- mediums of media almost. Do you write this stuff um, down? Do you write it down like in a notepad or you'd use your phone? Like what, how do you, um, how do you I've keep been, track of this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I first started out, everything was in a notebook, um, analog, <laughs> really going back to the, to the olden days as my parents would tease me as saying, but now I am, if something hits me, just my notes on my phone are a disaster. <laughs> I used to be really organized with it. I used mm. to have like one running note with all of my ideas, all of my lines that would come to me. And now I just have a million, like I'll have one note that has like three choruses from three different songs in it. And then I'll have <laughs> one note that just has like the just overall vibe of a song I want to have. Like it's, I, I consider myself to be a pretty organized person, but my notes app is really not indicative of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I just found this new app. It's called Pisces that I've been using because it, it like, it's hierarchy. I can't say that word hierarchy. It's just like the way it's kind of positioned on the app itself. It keeps track yeah. of everything. So you can put it by date and stuff like that. So I've been using that a lot. And then minimalist is another small little reminder thing kind of thing that I've been using, but yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about the fountain stuff and how that happened. Like did just, did they reach out to you or like, yeah. Cause I remember just like, I don't know. I didn't even hear about it until it happened. And I was like, what is going on? This is like all, all over like it was all over Bitcoin. It was, I just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, yeah. So how did that happen? And yeah. What did you think about the whole experience and stuff? Yeah. I think the word that comes to mind is very organic for me. And a lot of the people who I've talked to in Nashville would probably laugh at that because in the traditional music industry, everybody's like, oh, your growth has to happen organically. You have to have an organic TikTok viral video or an organic viral hit. When in reality, that's nothing is organic. Like it, everything is paid for. Everything is boosted on traditional streaming platforms and on traditional social media. Um, and so when people say, oh, it has to be organic. It just has to come naturally. I was kind of just, I was, I was very annoyed at that. Cause that was the, um, when I would ask people for advice on oh, how did you get the, this amount of Spotify monthly listeners? They were like, oh, it just has to come organically and it's very posh and it's a whole thing. And <laughs> you look at it and you're like, there's no way that this is actually organic. And there's nothing against you um, for that, but that's probably just not the way it is. And so when I put Cherry on top on Wave Lake, um, it did happen very organically where I didn't have to do much. It kind of was this chain reaction that happened where I put Cherry on top on Wave Lake, 
Um, it became the first song on the platform to hit a million stats. Adam Curry picked it up on his podcast, and then a million other podcasters were like, I mean, because Adam Curry is the podfather. Yeah, he's a podfather. Everybody listens to him. <laughs> yeah. um, he's, I, I would say he's probably the Taylor Swift of podcasting. <laughs> um, he would appreciate that. He would appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so Adam put Cherry on top, and then two ships and then daydreamer. He put a lot of my music up on his podcast and then it was very organic because then a lot of people in the podcasting realm started picking up my songs like that too and playing them and wanting to interview me and wanting to talk about my Bitcoin journey and my creative process. And, um, so that's it. The whole situation does feel very ironic to me because it actually did feel organic where like a year ago, if you told me, Hey, you're going to have like a very organic, fan experience in Bitcoin and crypto and Web3, I would have been like, sure, honey, thank you. <laughs> Let me go post my 45th TikTok of the day and get nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, gosh. Yeah. So how does it typically work just in the normal like music space? Do they, you said there was boosting and all sorts of things. Do they, it's like a pay to play type of thing, I guess, or like normally, is I, that how it works? Yeah, I think so. When you go into the music industry, I think everybody, no matter what age you're in, if you're kind of a newbie, you're going to have this idealistic view of it. Um, you'll be like, okay, if I work hard enough, if I write the best songs, if I play enough shows, then everything is just going to fall into place when that isn't the case. Some of the most talented artists I have ever come across, um, some, some of them who are even my friends who I am genuinely huge fans of, um, we've, we've had this conversation where it's simply being talented and having a great work ethic isn't enough anymore, at least in the traditional music industry. Um, because one kind of statistic that I kind of like to throw out, um, just kind of to illustrate it is if you take, and this isn't me calling anyone out, but if you take like a massive Instagram account, like Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran, Beyonce, and if you look at like some of the most followed accounts on Instagram, who have like upwards of a hundred million followers. Um, there's some statistic where like half of those followers aren't real. Um, because, and now it's starting to come out that a lot of, um, traditional record labels have like streaming farms where they just play their artists on a loop to make it look organic, quote unquote organic. Um, and so there's this dysmorphia that happens as a young artist coming up where you, do come at it with like a very like shiny wide eyed perspective. And you're like, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do my best. And then you do that for enough. You, you do that for a long enough period of time. And you're like, I've been doing my best. And why isn't it, isn't it enough? Um, and so that's why it was so exciting when Bitcoin and value for value came up, because this was really the first time in my entire career where I had people telling me, you are enough. You, what you are doing is enough because the traditional music industry is always going to tell you, oh, keep writing that song just to spite us. And one day you'll get the one hit song that'll blow up and you'll have this great career because of it. When that is true, like that is going to happen for some people, but it, you know, like it's all smoke and mirrors. Everything in the traditional music industry is smoke and mirrors. And so, <sighs> I could talk about this for hours, but no, I guess that. Thank is you for sharing that. The, the, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think enough people know about this. Uh, but you're exactly right. It's in the same thing in the podcasting space too. There's. I bet. Like yeah, it's it's all machine. That's why I th when I look at Valley for Valley stuff and the Zaps and 
lightning. And that's actually the only real metric. I was talking to Joe about this on the last episode, but it's literally the only metric that really matters. Because if I'm paying for, for somebody like you, for your music and your live show, um, that tells advertisers, uh, record labels, hey, she already has a fan base that is paying for her. Like, why would mm-hmm. you not uh, sign her? It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Like, do you know what I mean? It, it's, yeah. it's completely so like obvious to me. And I think just people have to get around this, what you were talking about earlier about this, just kind of like this clout chase thing, you know? Exactly. And that's why I think this is so exciting because in the traditional music industry, a label today won't even look at you if you don't have at least a hundred thousand followers on all of your um, platforms. And they tell you, yeah, we just, we want you to have a following before we come and pick you up. When if you historically think back on the music industry, that's not what labels do. Labels pick someone because they have potential and then they put the backing behind them. Today, labels are really just funding for what you're already doing. Um, and so with this, be, with value value for value in Bitcoin, there is actually an opportunity to get your, to get a fan base, to get your fans. Because again, in the traditional music industry, um, it's, it's, it's so hard to find your fans because it's so saturated and it's so diluted. Um, I was having a conversation with my, one of my friends about this a couple of weeks ago and she said like, what was it? She said, when everybody has access, nobody has access. That's the way to look at it. Mm. Um, and so now that this new space is allowing us to find our people, find our fan base who does value our music, um, I, I don't understand why labels and stuff wouldn't be excited about this because yeah. now like we're giving you what you've been asking for. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're showing you value, <laughs> like real yeah. world value. And not just like in the money, like just like in the like cash or dollars. It's like, no, this is like intrinsic, you know, finite value here. This is like Bitcoin. Yeah. People are giving you Bitcoin. It's crazy to think about. Um, cool. Let, let's, let's, let's touch on the, uh, I want to, I want to describe, I want you to describe just like, that moment when you were seeing all this live zapping and all that stuff, like t- tell me what was going through your head. Did you know, like, like it was going on, on the, on the Nostra side of things? Like how, how was that experience? Yeah, I think at first I didn't really know what it was. <laughs> I was kind of like, I don't know what this is, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah. um, and now I've, you know, and, and say I've got five, six months of this experience behind me. Um, and now I can really see it for what it is where it's like, people value me and they value my art in a way that the traditional traditional music industry doesn't value it right now. Um, and so, yeah, that first month or so when Cherry on Top was getting all of these sats on Wave Lake, I remember my parents and I looking at it, like kind of checking it each morning and being like, huh, what are sats? I mean, it's cool that I'm getting a lot of them, but what is this? <laughs> like we were so green and so like wide-eyed, starry-eyed, fresh into this that we were like, whatever the, I don't know what this is, but whatever it is, it's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of free education out there. I'm, I'm sure your dad and your parents are doing a lot of reading and, and you should too as well. Like, um, mm-hmm. it, but it's really cool. It's, it's great to see what, uh, so let's talk about, about the apps like Wave Lake and Fountain and these kind of, these kind of companies that are kind of running with this. Um, is there any advice that you would give them? Is there anything that you would would like to see happen or transpire over the course next, you know, 18, 24 months for, for their different kind of platforms. Yeah. I think one of the big things that my team and I have been 
talking about and we've been communicating to with um, a lot of these apps is um, the need for um, splits and making sure that everybody on your music is getting compensated because there is kind of it's it's a little bit of a double edged sword that's the ethos of um, this whole new space is just put it up and see what happens Um, because Yes, absolutely. Put your music up. You never know. You could get a million sats and that could be a whole great thing. Um, But at that same time, it's also that you could be almost disregarding a lot of the people who have helped you um, create this music. Because I I will be the first one to say it takes a village. Um, Like Cherry on Top, again, it was the right place, right time, right song kind of thing because... I wrote that song by myself so we didn't have to worry about potential co-writers or publishers who I, in the traditional music industry, who I already had um, split deals with. And so now that people are really starting to like some of the songs that um, I've written with other people, um, there is this thing that happens where we want to put it up, but then there aren't the tools and the resources yet emphasis on yet because we're getting there. Like everybody has been so awesome and so willing to talk to me and my team about what actually needs to change. Like from the perspective of somebody who's had the traditional music industry hat on for most of my life and career at this point. Um, But I think that's the biggest thing, just wanting to make sure that all the other songwriters and producers and whoever are compensated because I've been in the seat um, where I've been just a songwriter on someone else's songs on a different artist's song. And if they put a song up and they didn't make sure I got my 33% or whatever, that like at the end of the day, like nothing of nothing is nothing. It's not a huge deal if um, if, if the song doesn't blow up and I don't get credited for it. But again, like at the end of the day, it's about the principle of it and making sure that it goes back. It's a whole 360 moment, paying it forward, making sure that the people who've helped you get get their piece of the pie, you know? No, that's well said. And and I'm glad that you're, you're, you're speaking up about that. Cause I, I know like Snacker news has that where you can put, um, it's, it's just like kind of like Reddit basically, but it allows you to, um, forward zaps. So like if I post something from thriller or whatever, I could, yeah. I could send it to the, the author of, of that post. Right. So they can get 50% thriller gets, you know, 25 and car gets 25 or whatever the split is. So, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I think there's a definitely that's, there's a obvious need and it sounds like it's probably holding a lot of musicians and bands back because like you said, like when you did that live show, there's probably f- people that were not compensated for that, that were also participating in that live set. And then the, the roadies, or I don't know, like whoever it is around you that was helping management and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that totally makes a lot of sense. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm glad because, I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about this and working through different what-if scenarios. And, all, like, also, the every piece, there are so many pieces to a song, just, like, one song, um, that not everybody always understands that there are. Like, for sure, everybody knows that, like, songs are written, like, they can be written by one person, they can be written by 17 people, they can be written by two people, whatever. So there's that whole split that has to be ironed out and massaged. And then, so um, I will also, like, put on just, like, my business hat for a second, because I was lucky enough to graduate from Berklee College of Music this year with a music business degree. Congratulations Um, on that. Thank you. Um, But one of the big things um, that you learn just as 
someone existing in the music industry is if you take one song, there are two sides to every song. There is um, the underlying composition, which is the song itself, the um, the lyrics, the melody, um, the uh, yeah, like sometimes the production, it can kind of depend. And then there is the master recording, which is the recording of the song. It's not the actual song. So there's two sides to everything. And in the traditional music industry, people would think that with songwriters, that would be the thing that gets paid more because there is something called a mechanical royalty, um, where like you get, um, percentages of a penny for every stream or something, but you actually get paid more on the master. And so, which is again, the recording of the song, it's not the underlying composition. It's just the recording of the song. And so as we've been working through this whole new space, we've been, people have been starting to understand, okay, we definitely need to pay the songwriters and the producers and the publishers on this. Um, But that's just one side of it. Then you also have the master, which in depending on the deals that you have with um, your, your co-creators, sometimes a a producer might want to be paid like upfront, like you get it, you give the producer a thousand dollars for a song and then they'll want a royalty on 10, 20% of the master. So they're getting paid on both ends of it. And so it can get so fuzzy and so complicated. Um, and there's way more to how you split up a song and how you make sure that everybody is compensated than you would ever even think or imagine. Yeah. It it sounds really, yeah. It, it, sounds intense as far as like making sure that you, you personally and your, and your name and reputation stays, you know, organically aligned and then also just principled, and, you know, and then also you need to be compensated. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, for right? sure, the artists themselves. <laughs> and you, you're probably one of those people that just forgets, you know, to think about you too, right? Like that's just yeah. normal <laughs> musician creative behavior. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think it, it is always um, my first instinct to make sure that everybody else is taken care of. Um, and you know, like it sucks, but like sometimes that isn't always everybody's MO that isn't always their first instinct to do the right thing. And you know, like you you're in the music industry for long enough, you have firsthand experiences with that. And you're like, Oh, that kind of sucks. That wasn't the right thing to do, dude, but whatever, move on. Um, and so because I've been on the opposite end of that, where people haven't always done the right thing, it, informs me really wanting to do the right thing. Not just because of like me wanting to stay out of the fire. I mean, sure, that's part of it, but also wanting to make sure that everybody gets paid and compensated and credited. Yeah. Good on you. That's, that's the way to, that's the way to, to do it. You know, open eyes, full heart and just doing it yeah. that way. Totally. I try to do it like that. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, l- l- I think we're coming up to the top of the hour. So I just want to ask a couple more questions, but um, yeah. So what do you have planned for 2024? Um, where can people find a lot of um, what you're creating these days? Yeah. Um, so everything that I've done so far, you can find on all of the podcasting 2.0 apps. Um, but I would say I've been in this just this last week. I've really started plotting and scheming for Uh-oh. all of the music that I'm releasing <laughs> this year. Because um, I actually I didn't release any music in 2023, which was really scary. But it was also really necessary because I had to take some time and let my writing catch up to my life. Cause in the traditional music industry, they really just want, um, up and coming artists right now to do singles and just constantly have singles coming out every six weeks. Um, which is good. But then at the same time, like sometimes you're, you're writing and your life kind of like, they're not always in sync. So sometimes you're like, Oh God, 
I, I need to live my life for a second and I need to not write anything. Um, and so then it can become a whole thing. But so I took, I took last year to really focus on living and writing, um, and finishing school. That was yeah, that's important. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but because I, I took that year, I've got, um, an album's worth of material that I'm really excited about. And I'm really excited to start sharing this year. Um, so I would say look out for a lot of new music from the loud blonde chick this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to give away too much, yeah, yeah. but um, I'm just, I'm really excited and I'm really grateful to everybody who has supported me in this new space. And I uh, want to show you how grateful I am by uh, giving you some more music and that that's will awesome. be coming sooner than you think. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see. Yeah. It, it looks like you, you have prepared uh, well in advance uh, uh, since your move to Nashville, it sounds like. And then now you're just like 2024 is going to be your banner year. It, it, that's what it sounds like to me that you're, your, your scheming plotting out there, but that's cool to well, see though. You. Yeah. I took, a, I took a, that's a page out of the Taylor Swift handbook for success. <laughs> oh boss. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's do rapid fire real quick. This is just like yeah. really quick questions. Um, favorite album of all time. Oh God. Uh, I'm going to say, cause I was in a, this, I was in a really big George Michael fa phase this year. I'm going to say faith by George Michael right now. Really? Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. I would have never thought that. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> I love him. My my dad got me uh, the George Michael biography for Christmas, which I haven't read yet, but it's just like sitting there and I'm so excited about it. That's funny. Uh, okay, cool. Um, favorite movie? La La Land. Really? Mm -hmm. what, 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 why, why that one? What's so special besides Ryan Gosling? I mean... <laughs> music in that movie is phenomenal. I, I listen to that soundtrack all the time, but I think part of the reason that I really love that movie is because, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but it's been out for like six, seven years at this you point. You can spoil but, it. Um, I love the fact, weirdly, that they don't end up, end up together because I think so much of um, what we see in traditional media is like the girl puts aside her own dreams and her own career for the boy. And that's opposite in this movie. Like they put themselves first and of course, like it's bittersweet. Of course you want to see them end up together. But I love that the message that it sends is like, you're allowed to go after your own dreams and you don't have to give up your goals just to make someone else happy, which I love about that movie. Yeah. Interesting thing about that movie is the, the director, the, the filmmaker, the guy who, who, who crafted the story and then got it, you know, created it. He also directed and created First Man. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's I about it's about Neil Armstrong and about his mission in the, or you know mission to uh, to the moon and and that's yeah. like one of my favorite movies. And it's yeah. funny to see him create something like First Man and then to do something like La La Land. I'm just like wow, like it's range. Just, yeah, the range, right? Like, anyways, the, the director's name is that's Damien Chazelle, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. And he was he also did the the drummer one. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. The Whiplash. Whiplash. Yeah. He also did yes. that one too. Yeah. I did see that. That was really good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. And then last, so this is the last question. Um, let's talk about dreams. Cause you mentioned it a while ago. What, 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 what is, what does your dream look like? Are you living it? Obviously it feels like you are living it, but like, what's a long-term dream that you have that you want to see fulfilled in your lifetime? Long-term I, um, 
I really, I just want to be a professional recording artist and I want to be able to do shows all the time. Like we just did in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago. It's always been my, my dream to me. I mean, again, like my like little four-year-old heart who like saw, who listened to Alison Krauss in the backseat. And I was like, Ooh, I like that. I want to do that. Um, of course, like every, I think every musician has that dream of like looking out into a crowd and seeing your own songs sung back to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd love to play an arena one day, love to do a stadium one day. Um, but yeah, I think I just want to constantly be creating music and I want to be able to live off of that music. I don't want to have to go and get a side job. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that if you have to do that to make ends meet. But I want music to be my main thing and I want that to be the thing that I can live off of. And I'd like to buy myself a nice house too, but... That's a, that's a great treatment. I no doubt you'll get there for sure. <laughs> Daydreamer, keep that head of yours up there in the clouds. Cause once you see what's going on down there, you won't have to come down. Daydreamer, don't you go to bed. The dreams are better before you lay down. Daydreamer.